You know, Miles, when it comes hmm. to me, I'm a good cop, a good detective. And I know that I Dream of Genie is the best show that talks about opera, Wagner, all of this stuff. But you know what I don't care for? These radio psychiatrists. I'm in skanky mode. It's time to talk about Forever Night. Hello, Miles. How are you, buddy? I'm doing good. I f I'm feeling refreshed. I feel like that break we took for, for doing some Star Trek, I think because we've never done a, a, a dive this deep before and we're putting a lot on our plates for these episodes, we don't usually do this many hour longs. And so having a little break in between, I think really kind of helped a lot keep that keep that enthusiasm going for, yeah for, for sure because i'm i'm having fun doing this challenge but sometimes it's good to kind of pace yourself a little bit for, so, for sure for sure I, I we have watched enough episodes now that i i feel like i know how the show is gonna go and i'm also more forgiving of things in the show that i was not necessarily as forgiving of before so uh so let's let's get into it. You ready to talk about the next four episodes of Forever Night? I am indeed. All right. Well, let's get started with talking about episode 11. No, episode 10. Sorry. Episode numbers are weird because there's a different broadcast order in episode number. Episode 10, Dead Air. A pop radio psychiatrist is horrified because a call that she has taken involves a murder while she's on the air. Uh, so she entrusts the, the help of Nick and Skanky to figure out uh, who is this killer, as well as, you know, getting her groove back in the, in the psychology sense. Hey, Drew, remember sultry late night radio hosts? Oh like, man, that, that that is a specific thing that I don't know if they exist anymore. I haven't listened to the to the like actual radio in a very long time, but that was a that was a real thing that was very popular in the nineties. Oh yeah, and uh, it, it's it's some of them ended up getting TV shows like Doctor Drew, No Relation, uh, a, a few things that that. <laughs> I don't think any of our listeners would have thought you were related. <laughs> I mean, we have the same first name. Who's to know, Miles? Who's to know? Uh, but this episode is is fairly interesting. I, the the yeah. only the only thing I can say about this uh, is as far as uh, so so we've got Dr. Christina Noble, who is a a psychiatrist psychologist. Again, it's one of those things where they don't necessarily make the same distinction that we would make today. Although I think maybe because she worked in facilities, she might be a psychiatrist. I don't know. Uh, she is a, a, I would say down on her luck, except she seems to be very successful in her radio show. So I don't ex know exactly how down on her luck she is. But, she's a pop uh, psychiatrist. So, I mean, she's just basically giving advice. Yes. So she is she has had an incident in her past that she feels guilty of and has left her practice and is now basically doing saucy uh, uh, late night radio under the guise of of talking about 
desires and the psychology of desires and and things like that. And uh, that was the almost the fate of the the more you nerd before you know Drew Drew dragged me from the edge. You know, Miles would have been just sitting in his in his house recording saucy commentary. Nerds. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is also the very first episode, and correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but I feel like you you kind of zero in on this. I think this is the first episode that specifically references the city as, as Toronto. It no, it happened. It happened last week when we have uh, when we had the uh, the Crown Prosecutor's Office and and. But did they specify that that's Canada? But did they specify Toronto? Because uh, it was because I think it was Skanky talking about a bowling league. Um, oh, OK. OK. But anyway, uh, we're like, speaking of Skanky. He clearly if the, 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 the Skankism of the day is that he thinks that. All of this pop psychology is a bunch of hooey, even though he listens to it obsessively. He's one of her biggest fans. Uh, Skanky continues to be my favorite character amongst these episodes because he is at at the same time such a clod, such a a butt of a joke, but also such a weird source of wisdom. Like he he continually shows that he's a good cop. And I <laughs> I, I love that they let him do that, despite the fact that he's uh, consistently uh, uh, annoyed with how Nick does does the job. Well, they also play, they they soften his edges a little bit as the show goes on, because at first he is a character that you can easily see great on audiences nerves, but they back up just enough so that he's playing the type. He's he's the trope. But yes, like they let him be a cop. They let him have some some real human qualities, especially in the next episode. And I I'm, I'm kind of with you where especially in, in, in the, this group of episodes where almost all of them are these very standard kind of procedural type of things. I they're barely vampire related, honestly. Exactly. And that's kind of what honestly what annoyed me about them. <laughs> if, if I have a big criticism is they dialed up the procedural thing. And I think this was smart because this, this is the middle of the first season. So they got to play up the fact that it's still a cop show. And, and one thing that I did find kind of obnoxious about most of these episodes is they all seem to end with Nick flying to the rescue. And that's the one vampirism in, in three fourths of these. Yeah, that's true. And, and that kind of bugs me, but as procedural episodes these are for the most part there's one episode in particular i just did not care for i think these are very solid cases the the way they're done i feel like especially in 1992 this would have kept me engaged i would have thought that the the plot lines were were cool if not a little well worn but i outside of like some some notes i have about some of the weird parts of these episodes i thought for the most part, three three of the four of these were really really solid. I agree, and and, and part of that is again maybe a little bit of uh, of Stockholm syndrome. We've been watching these episodes for for a month now. We're we're involved with these characters. I am quoting Skanky on a daily basis, and I don't mean to. Sometimes it just happens. Uh, <laughs> I walk into a room and I just act like I know what I'm talking about. And then I say something offensive to somebody and then I'm a good guy. So it all works out in the end. But, uh, but this, and this it's weird. If you listen to cosmic create, he started calling Rebecca Myra for some reason. <laughs> uh, this, that didn't happen. <laughs> no, it did not. Uh, but this episode is also interesting because this is one of those things where I feel like if this was a show that happened 
10 years later, it would be a lot more salacious, if if you know what I mean. Like, oh, oh, 100 percent. Or if this was on your Showtime, your HBO, your Cinemax. Oh, for sure. This, this yeah, this would have been a Red Shoe Diaries kind of of episode. hundred percent. There is a lot of of of. I don't even want to call it innuendo because innuendo implies a certain level of 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 like cheekiness to it. <laughs> some oh, things. yeah, no, it, it's it is flat out sauciness. Sometimes there's just, you know, things that you cl- they clearly just changed a word in order to change the, what what the meaning was. But so you've got Dr. Dr. Noble and a guy calls into her show and it's oh, it's cool. It's sexy. Oh, it's nice. And and all of a sudden it takes a step further and someone is killed live on the air. And she, of course, reaches out to the cops. There's a there, there's a whole thing they, they, the 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 captain doesn't really know what to do about it because they can't prove that anything actually happened. And there's a whole uh, murder mystery. And I'm just going to zip to the end because this is the thing that I think sits to me the weirdest about this episode. In that. It takes about three deaths before Dr. Noble recounts to Nick the story of the last patient that she dealt with, which was a patient that somehow directly matched the psychological profile of the killer in this case that she has created. (laughs) And I didn't think they were going to get that tired with the ending. It's like, it's almost like they ran out of steam and they just did not want to be creative anymore <laughs> yeah and uh, i will say dr noble is played by diane carey who is not a, a hey i've seen that face but she is the wife of the series co-creator james perio or Perriot. i don't know how to pronounce his name i should have looked it up uh which is which is interesting she's actually in a couple of episodes not as the same character uh but uh but i think which, she, i think i think i would find that somewhat annoying i know that happens a lot but i thought she was very good as um Dr. Christine Noble. Well, well, this is and this is the thing that that is also interesting about these episodes. And we're going to get through that as as far as this goes. But every episode we have, there is just a little bit more of what we know today as more modern TV procedurals. Like she's yeah. she basically takes on the role of a, a criminal pathologist in this. And she creates a psychological profile of the killer as part of this, which is something that we see on Law and Order all the time. There, there, there are other things, and we'll, again, we'll get to these in this in the next few episodes. It's like it's just ahead of where this is standard stuff to where this is a special episode. Like we had the psychic a, a couple episodes ago, and that was a thing, of course, that was you know part of the culture, but obviously not really real sorry um unless somebody can prove to me that they're psychic but uh but this one is is more in the the realism kind of side of things where where and that's that's where things get really interesting and and it's it's it is neat how they do create a an interesting compelling backstory for the killer matthew who hey i know that face and Matthew, you do know that face. Ma- it's a very well-known face for, for nerds. Matthew is played by an actor named David Hewlett, who is most well-known for playing uh, Dr. Rodney McKay on Stargate SG-1 and Stargate Atlantis. 
uh, as well as a bunch of other Canadian TV shows that have happened since then, uh, some of which starring uh, co-starring his other uh, <laughs> Stargate uh Stargate compatriots, but uh, a, a lot of these '90s genre actors tend to come the same circles, which I, I honestly I love that. So many of these people I looked at are on Degrassi or Tech War or all these like shows that I have never heard of because I didn't watch Canadian TV in the 1990s. But so many of these people are on those shows in the same circles. Well, you did, you just didn't know you watched Canadian TV. No, in the these 1990s. would have been shows that did not get aired in the United States. <laughs> Degrassi, I think, was on the film. I'm talking channel. about other shows of the Degrassi. I didn't, I, I didn't <laughs> honestly remember. Um, but so, but, yes, continue, Moss. Uh, well, I want, I want to. So you, you, you skip to the end where yeah, it reveals that the patient that Christine Noble talked about is the killer, and basically Nick flies to the rescue. I, I think, I think my one criticism, not my one criticism. One of my criticisms with Forever Night as a procedural is because they are trying to put so many moving pieces with Nick being a vampire as well as a cop and having the flashbacks, which I think they could probably hold off on in some of these episodes. Some of the flashbacks just don't work as well as others. Got to be real about no, that. No, and I think that's my problem. I, I am. I am. I understand that when you live, you know, 700 years at this point. That, you know, you're going to have things that remind you of things that happened in the past. I get that that's the point they're trying to make. But I don't think every single case that we come across has to have a parallel. And, and I, I like when the parallels work, but the parallel in this one, the flashback in this one is flashing back to LaCroix. I keep one. He's LaCroix, LaCroix in this. I, I have been drinking LaCroix canned sparkling waters lately so uh forgive me uh maybe you're drinking the water uh, no it's based out of Lacroix, whatever state in the er, city in the united states but uh anyway um this 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 whole flashback is is Lacroix talking to 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 a younger nicholas about like the the pleasures of murder and the creativities of murder and killing. And it's, it's, it doesn't fit. It's, it's, it's as if they're trying to do a, a psychological profile of LaCroix. It's, it's like, it's, it's too loose. I see what they're going for, but it doesn't quite land for me in particular. But on the other side, I actually found the, the present day case to be very interesting. And like, how would, how would you handle like, I'm sure there has been at some point in the, in the, in modern history, a murder that has gone out live on the radio and people try to figure out whether that was real or not. And I didn't look this up. Maybe I should have, but that would have been a weird search history to do. Uh, uh. <laughs> I mean, you, you also have, I mean, especially at the time, so many different kind of radio hosts like uh, Art Bell and stuff, people would call in of all types and, and claim things. What, one thing that I, well, I had, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that because the captain wonders if it's fake at first. Because it is on the radio, it's a it's a shocking. The, the, cap, the captain in these episodes proves less than helpful as a captain in general. <laughs> in this episode, I think in the in the next couple of episodes, um, there's no. one episode in particular he does not prove helpful, but the next episode is pretty good. But we'll get to that when we get to that. 
Oh, so, so one of the things, uh, the, the vampire trait of the episode is apparently Nick has Superman level hearing and can hear. I couldn't tell if they were trying to show that he was just listening for people playing the radio, if he was listening for the killer talking or if he was hearing the radio signals themselves. They I'm don't so, make it clear. at I'm all. I'm so glad you said that. Could not tell why. Couldn't tell why. Also, <laughs> old tech alert. It doesn't take exactly 30 seconds to trace a phone number. It didn't then. It doesn't now. It was instantaneous. It always has been. <laughs> Ever since we had phone numbers. And I love that the, the device they have is like this LED like tick, 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 five. Tick, 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 five. I like five. that. <laughs> uh. it, it certainly made the episode more tense. But it's and, and especially because you see the guy t- doing a stopwatch because he's studied and he knows that this is how much time he has. And oh, no, he's messed up. And so they actually traced his phone number. It's just it's it's one of those things that I I the, that that will always eat through realism for me because I know it's super fake and, you know, whatever. <laughs> well, so, so the thing about I, I will say the thing about tracing the call was a lot of times because there was no metadata, the. The information was really on the phone company. So I, I, I see what they're trying to do where like they're trying to track it live because they don't have time to go through the phone company. And that that I can kind of, of buy. I mean, obviously, with with more modern technology, yeah, you're, you're not going to really. I mean, yeah, you can block the call, but that's not really. I mean, be a even, thing. even back in the day, the cops could track a phone oh, call. I, I, I am. I, I have every confidence that they could. Um <laughs> And again, again, this this is this is one of the the more consistently written cases. There there is a weird thing that while Skanky is is a, is a solid cop, there's a scene where he has to go to uh, the the institution to try to look up a past patients of the doctor, uh, or or no, it, past patients in general that that fit a certain profile. And he doesn't uh, he doesn't claim that he has a warrant at first, and as a result, the the orderly or the receptionist, whoever, whatever role they are, is extremely unhelpful. And I, I think Nick's, I'm not Nick's, uh, Skanky's attitude doesn't help that. But I mean, it's just, it's really, really odd that that dichotomy is so pronounced. Yet, when Skanky gets in there, he puts the work in. He looks through the files. He finds the things. He he gets the job done. I, and he is the one who helps Nick figure out that 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 Dr. Noble has been kidnapped by this Matthew Reed character. And he knows the whole story. It was skanky saved the day, which is hashtag but for the night. Save- hashtag skanky <laughs> saved the day. I, I, w- I will say. That I think if Skanky had popped up with the warrant first, as opposed to copying his attitude, he would have saved the day earlier. I don't. Did he not have the warrant the first time? I he, thought he didn't he, have it. He and had he came the back. warrant, but he 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 wanted to to flirt and talk smack first, and then presented the warrant when when the woman said, "Well, you need a warrant for that." And so he just it for whatever I, I, reason. I have some. He, de- I have some defensive Skanky at this point because he's talking to a human being. And a human being that if they were willing to help could probably have gotten him the information that he needed faster, but that human being denied to help him. So he had to go through with the warrant. And then as soon well, as he, he pres- should have presented, <laughs> but as soon as he presents, when you, when you as soon dealing, as he presents when- the warrant, the person that, that works at the place 
is not entitled to help him. Is that true? I mean, I would. I, he only has the warrant for the files. He didn't have the warrant to have somebody help him look through the files. Right, but if he had come up and said, hey, I have a warrant, I need, I need to help track this killer, I guarantee that that person would have helped them more. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, th- th- there's another odd- oddity in this episode. And so Nick is being constantly glib. I call this a gremlin scene because after this very kind of fun ish conversation, the doc all, all, all of a sudden drops. Oh, and then I had this patient that murdered his mother. Yeah, it's like you couldn't have told me about this earlier. Yeah, well, there's that. But the whole scene is is running very pleasantly. And then all of a sudden, it just takes this dark turn in the same fashion as Phoebe Cates talking about how her father died in Gremlins. <laughs> uh, the only other note I have about this episode, which by and large was a pretty fun episode, uh, despite I think I feel a little bit of a deflated ending. Um, I don't understand why. I do understand. Uh, Drew made this note first before I because he started the episode before I did. And then I couldn't not think of it. They only have one song for both <laughs> montages and that plays in uh, The Raven. And <laughs> this is, so this is this is the thing that there there is an, a nearly identical montage in this episode to the last episode that we watched that it's features awful. Nick lying on the floor of his apartment. It's just five minutes too long. It's just a song that plays as Nick just looks agonizing and, Oh, uh, I'm going to figure it out. And then it doesn't, he doesn't seem to have any aha moment as part of these. It's just, again, it's just watch this, this, this sexy vampire brood. It's like we're watching, we are, we're watching the longer Canadian cuts and not the U S cuts, which would have been, should have cut that out. So much of the music in this show is reused that I don't, until I hear the vocals for maybe the, second time it doesn't click that's that song the night calls my name and like talking about stockholm syndrome i'm starting to really dig that song (laughs) i like honestly i like the song the plane of the raven and there's a later there's i'm going to tell you this right now because we're talking about it there is a song that they go to the raven for an extended period of time in a later episode actually it's probably the next episode and the song and and a song starts playing and i'm like Oh, it's a different song for the Raven. All right. And the song keeps playing. No, it's the same song. It's just a different part of the same song. I love it. No, it's a a fun song. But like, yeah, I I noticed that the first time I heard it, just be like, oh, that's a very cool, like 90s song that I mean, was probably something that was commissioned for the show. And and now it's getting to the point where, oh, this is the only song that they have. I uh, there's not a whole lot more to say about this episode. I I think that for whatever reason they they want to end every single episode on a weird joke. And I think I noticed this last episode that we did this, but it's just an odd thing, especially no matter how dark the episode is, it's always some little, you know, little joke. Oh. Uh, next episode though, <laughs> no, I'm Hunter. Sorry. You reminded me of something that I forgot to mention. When Noble is kidnapped and they're trying to figure out where they are, Nick gets on the radio to be the radio host. That's right. And then they figure out where Noble's going to be and he puts Skanky on the radio. Skank Squad! <laughs> I, I would have watched 
I would have allowed 10 extra minutes just to see Skanky on the radio. Yeah, can we cut back on Nick on the floor playing uh, playing electronic chess with himself and get more Skanky stepping in for the radio psychologist, please? I would have loved that. That'd have been great. Well, well speak, speaking of Skanky, we have a we have a Skanky filled episode next. Oh yes, episode eleven, Hunters. Skanky is meeting with his old partner, who is now a vice cop, uh, that they're trying to commit, trying to convince to take a promotion to be the the captain of the day shift of the homicide department, which was the department that that Nick and Skanky work in. But as they're having this conversation, that vice cop, Jim Anderson, is murdered. But was the bullet meant for Skanky? Nick has to race to save his partner. I thought I think this episode was again, with the exception of the reveal at the end, excellent. I, I, I love this episode. I think this episode is great. I, I know. I, again, with with I don't like I get oh we have we're spoiling this. I don't like the fact that the whoever's tracking him down was just a cop who couldn't hack it at the academy. I, I just I was super I would again that just deflated the excitement of the episode because I was I was super into who is this person and I was really enjoying this frankly skanky focused episode everything See, about this episode works for me except the reveal so I figured it out early uh, because they make a big deal because again we mentioned in the last week's episode how or in, in the last episode of dead air that this is the episode that has the 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 criminal psychologist who's creating the crime profile. Well, in this episode, we have a new computerized police crime database that is being installed in the middle of this episode that that Officer Norma, who, hey, I know that face. She's a Stargate Atlantis person, too, apparently. <laughs> uh, 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 Rachel Luttrell, uh, if you know who that is, um, she is is getting that set up. But right alongside that, the very moment that we find this out, there is this random dude there that doesn't make eye contact with anybody. He's like, oh, the database is ready, so I'm going to head out before Nick and Skanky actually talk to Norma about it. Uh, and again, this is one of those things where Norma is introduced. She gets a name. She gets all this information. This, as far as I can tell, is the only episode that she is in and the only episode that deals with having to look up anything in the criminal database on the computer, which... And, uh, and all, uh, all of this, it's, so, it's solely focused on, well, where is our information on Nick Knight? Again, uh, which, honestly, <laughs> I kind of like that because it makes sense. It it does. Uh, Absolutely. But we'll get we'll get to that in a little bit. Um, a few things that I love about this. So we, we are introduced to Jim Anderson, Detective Jim Anderson, who is Skanky's old partner. Back they went to the academy together. They were partners for four years. Uh, and then uh Anderson moved into Vice, which if you know anything about cops, homicide, which is what Nick and 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 Skanky are, all about murders. Vice is a lot of drugs and gangs and stuff like that. And you can tell before he even announces that he's a vice cop, that he's a vice cop because he's wearing the white suit white jacket. With, yeah. with no tie and the flashy shirt. He looks like it. he looks I like 
it's it's not Miami Vice. It's Toronto Vice. And boy, does he still like he looks like a guy dressing as Miami Vice, except he's the kind of overweight dumpy cop that seems to operate in Toronto as a detective. But he seems to have a fairly solid success rate. He seems to enjoy what he's doing. He's one of the and best cops on the force as far as anybody. And he's about to get promoted, which he, they're there. Nick and, and Skanky are trying are out hanging out with him, trying to get him to take this promotion. And, and he's, he's half and half about it before he gets shot in a crack I, I was, shot. Honestly, I was digging Skanky's old partner. Like I was, I was, I was like, all right, this guy's this. Cause I didn't read ahead to see what the episode was about. And if I had, I wouldn't have been so excited to see him. Um, but well, wait, I mean, he tell he tells us that that Skanky's old nickname was Donut, which love is that. which is I love that maybe the <laughs> lamest cop nickname I've ever heard. But you know, what are you gonna do? Yeah, but but also it fits Skanky so much. And for the rest of the episode, even when being sincere, Nick calls him Donut. <laughs> yes. And the, the one thing I love about these episodes is that at this point in the series. Nick and Skanky are not just partners, but they are bros at this point. They have inside I, I, jokes. I look at them almost a married couple. They, they are a very much a, a, a sort of odd couple kind of pairing, but they respect each other. And you see that through all four of these episodes that we are that we are watching for tonight. And I love that because they definitely were not the first couple of uh, especially in the pilot. They they really couldn't stand each other. But now they've they've earned each other's respect in in a in a way that that is that's really shining through especially because most of this episode is nick having to keep skanky away from the case which is the hardest thing for skanky to do and again they named the guy skanky they named him skanky but he's a good cop he's a dedicated cop and the hardest thing for him in this whole episode is having to be put on the sidelines just to protect himself. And he doesn't want to do it. And I, I having, I, having to be put on the sidelines at an S and M club. No, we don't know that that's what that club is. Do you have eyes? Because I do. <laughs> I, I honestly, the second that the Ravens pop, pops in, I just close my eyes and listen to that wonderful song. Um, oh, I, I, I get you. I, so when they introduced the idea of hiding skanky at the Raven, I just, you know, guffawed. I thought that was the concept is hilarious. And I really loved that angle. We also get this weird hint that I guess Jeanette and Nick are still intimate because when he kisses her goodbye, it's it's not a little like friendly peck on the cheek. It's like it's a very familiar kiss. Okay, so this so. Nick kiss watch. We need to do this because last the last time we covered these episodes. Nick and Jeanette were getting a little friendly with each other when they were getting a lot of friendly with each other. They were when when uh, when his his doctor partner walks in. Yeah, Nick's running third base, ready to go home. And then all of a sudden the door swings open. <laughs> Ooh. Uh, so. So this is a continuation of that. Just pinpoint this right now, because next episode, something else happens. So what? I actually, also like actually, it. Nick Kiss watching this. I'm going to skip this. Skanky. He didn't kiss. He does not kiss Skanky. 
Although he and Skanky do hug it out quite a bit uh, in this episode. But uh, I want to talk about the subplot of this episode before we get into the main plot, because I think the, the, the subplot is interesting for 1992. Uh, because if you think about like, think about Highlander and, and, right. and, and uh, McLeod having to, you know, take on different identities over the years and how easy that probably was when all you had was paper records. But the second that a computer system gets installed and none of <laughs> these records, yeah. none of these records match up like that's an interesting thing. Uh, and, and so Nick reaches out to to somebody called Larry Merlin, which is a funny name I, for some reason. I, I, I think it's I just, love that name. So because, much. because it's like Larry Merlin. Larry Merlin. I don't know. It's very funny to me. Uh, and Larry Merlin can get all of this stuff done. And but it's not just putting it into the Toronto systems, but because it's computerized, he's got to go back into the systems of all these other things that the Toronto system is pulling this information from and and basically create Nick's fake identity. Uh, and and two things, uh, two things that about this that I find very interesting one is that Nick did not memorize all of his information and gets it wrong when Norma asks him about it. Oh, yeah. Which is very funny. Oh, but, but see, the thing was, he was born on New Year's Eve so or New get, Year's Day. I still get so that confused. And I'm like, you idiot. <laughs> but the other side of that is that after his stuff pops up, he just leans in and kisses Norma on the cheek. What is that? Yeah. What I, is that? There, there, there is some weird, uh, I think just common male assumption of how to conduct yourself with that, women I mean, there is in a, general. There was a previous episode, and we didn't call it out, where Skanky's on the phone with somebody, and he's like, you can't call anybody sweetheart anymore. And that's supposed to be like, oh, Skanky, you're stuck in the past, da-da-da-da-da. Meanwhile, Nick is just leaning in, kissing people. It's it No, was but weird. he does he, I, you know, it's funny that you said that because I feel like he does that a lot. We're just now kind of keyed into it. Um, but I do want to talk a little he, bit. He has done it with Natalie, but that's different. Right. Well, is it, though? I mean, I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about it when we get to but anyway, Natalie. So, so, so let's, I, let's, I, I do want to say I, I, I loved that we spent some time at the Raven because even though she only has a couple scenes I feel the more that we get and we get another one in a future episode that we're talking about tonight, the more we give Jeanette, the more interesting and compelling she becomes. And they're starting to write her her a little bit more consistent because you're seeing the control that Lacroix had over his kind of group of vampires. And clearly that was still ingrained in her, which is why she's she often kind of contradicts Nick. But if you look at her actions, you know, she protects Skanky. She keeps him from uncovering, you know, visiting vampires who could easily eat him and she could just cover it up. So I, I think there's a lot more to her character than we're, we're still getting. And it makes me more intrigued. It makes me look forward to seeing her again. Whereas before I thought she was more set dressing. Miles, the last time we spoke, I was critical of Jeanette's accent coming and going. But I have a new theory about this. I think, I think it's because they've lived so long and they've changed their accent so much that when, they just when, kind of 
when she talks to Skanky, she's got a very Canadian accent. When she talks to Nick, she's got a much more French-inspired accent. I wonder if that is to imply that when Jeanette is talking to other people, she's speaking English. But when Jeanette is talking to Nick, she's speaking French, because that is what they spoke to each other for so long. Interesting. It's not something that anyone said anything about, so it's, yeah, I, I can't argue against it. I mean, I, I don't think so, but I, I, I like that. It's, I think it also is one of those things where... That, that's my working when, theory. When, I would like to see how that plays out in future episodes. When, you, when someone leaves the South and lives, may say, let's say, the West Coast for 15 years, and maybe before they had a little bit of an accent that has gone away, but as soon as they, come, they call or come home, it picks right back up. Yeah, yeah. It could be a case of that, even though Nick has the most Midwestern boring accent you could possibly have. <laughs> um, but I, I did find, I found all the Raven stuff super interesting. I thought the, the communication that was being had with um the classifieds what had a cute little joke where one, the one of the best jokes in the series so far yes the alan smithy joke uh no i wasn't thinking about the alan smithy joke i was thinking about when when skanky needs to go out and buy the new paper he says i promise you i'll be right back cross my heart and please don't do that in front of me <laughs> <laughs> that was very that was very good. No, the, the Alan Smithy joke. Alan Smithy is a Hollywood joke for when a director does not want to take responsibility for their work. And they credit it to the name Alan Smithy. Well, sp- well, speaking of Alan Smithy, we need to probably get into the the core of this episode, and that is who is the killer in question? So. The entire episode They don't know who it is, except for the fact that the person that killed Jim Anderson was a crack shot. Amazing shot. Could not have done better. And so that leads Nick, despite the captain's protestations, to figure that it could be a cop. And as we determined throughout the episode, it ain't a cop, but it's somebody pretty close. It's a guy called McAvoy who was with Skanky and Anderson at the police academy, but got passed over for becoming a cop because he failed the psychological exam. But, and this is again what I mentioned earlier, I figured that out that this is probably the dude when earlier on in the episode, uh, he, he reveals that he got into computers after that because he's, he, he's the computer guy. He's the guy that set up the police database so he has access to all of this information that Nick has figured out. It's like, oh, of course it's that dude. And by the way, McAvoy, this dude, drummed out of the police academy for failing the psych exam. Hey, I know that face. In addition to a number of Canadian uh, uh, projects that he has been a part of, you may recognize him as being... Uh, Spunkmeyer, Private Spunkmeyer in Aliens, the dude who works on the dropship with the uh, in the pipe okay, five yeah. by five uh, lady who gets, uh, uh, well, <laughs> spoiler warning for another 20 something year old movie. 30 <laughs> something year old movie now. But uh, that was about the only biggest, the, the, the main big thing that I could tell that he had done. But uh, 
Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, I, like I said, I was I was just still a little disappointed in the reveal that it was just some wannabe cop. I I really wanted it to be the crooked cop or a case that I I wanted it to be the the routes that they were chasing actively, but just because I I wanted Skanky to have that kind of story. Well, it, the problem is they set all this stuff up, but they didn't land on it enough. Like. They keep mentioning, oh, it's got to be somebody on the inside because how would they know where Skanky was in hiding? Because da 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 da. Because he go because they put Skanky in this hotel, motel, and the motel blows up, uh, killing another cop that we've just met, sadly. But uh, and so that implies that there's more to the the uh, <laughs> there's more to what's going on. But they never just decidedly say like oh he knew this because he had access to the computer system they say everything but that but i feel like it needed just that little exclamation point onto it like he says he's into computers and he says he did this and this and this but i don't know it just didn't land the way that i thought it would land um but i also i actually kind of like the the person who who really wanted to be a cop but couldn't hack it because they failed the psych profile because I feel like that's something from more contemporary things going on in the world that I have seen be presented. And, and it's something that that honestly feels like it is that's like a, a 2006 and forward plot point than a 1992 plot point. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And I liked that, but I feel like because maybe they didn't have as many real world examples of stuff like that happening, that it wasn't exactly the same thing. I don't know. Uh, but we also find out that Skanky was called donut because he was a terrible shot. <laughs> it is. There, there was that. And I, this is the second episode in which Skanky specifically references Mugu Gai Pan, which I, I feel like might be the only Chinese dish he knows. This is favorite though. You got a favorite dish. You got a favorite dish. I'm not convinced. Skanky's the kind of person who maybe knows one dish, and that's what he's going to order. <laughs> I can I can totally see that. It's just if for whatever reason it was because I think that's also the most stereotypical for the time. Like dish, people always say like, "Oh, muga pan," as as if that's I don't know the only dish on the menu. It's it's something that's kind of always grinded my gears a little bit it's so also it, it's also if you take it could be kind of a silly name because it's a lot of g sounds and g is one of the funniest right, and i understand that and i think that's why skanky chooses to use it or why they why they choose for skanky to use it uh and it's just something i noticed and i was just i just it kind of made me roll my eyes uh, but nothing made my roll my eyes as much as the next episode, well, which so far is so, my least favorite of the season. I want to pause right here because I do want to mention. I, 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 I took notes on this episode. I don't remember what the flashback in this episode was. Uh, the flashback of this episode was the fact that he and uh, a woman were modeling for a painting and the the woman that he was modeling with. No, that's was the next Rachel. issue. That's the next the next episode. I'm talking. I'm still talking about hunters. I'm still talking. Oh, about- you're still talking about hunters. Uh, I don't remember. Was, was there one? Uh, maybe there wasn't oh, one. They're, they're, no, no, they're being hunted by um, vampire hunters or something because they're they're in that wooden 
farm or whatever. Oh, yes, that's it. Okay. Yes. Thank you. I just it's, it's completely kind of inconsequential to the episode. It was, it was Jeanette saying the hunt let the hunter let the hunted become right. the hunter. Because Nick turns the whole thing around by grabbing people out of the window, even though it's daytime. Um Yeah, that I I, I, I could have used this is an episode where I didn't need any background. Like it didn't help it, Jeanette's it did, story. It, it didn't serve any any story other than to you know ultimately and again i like this episode because at the end of the day skanky figured out what was going on and it took nick following behind skanky's trail to figure it out and i you know i i'm a member of the skank squad you know what can i say hashtag skank squad buy t-shirts uh (laughs) threadless.com slash skank squad doesn't exist, but we'll get there. Anyway, <laughs> they they might soon. Um, <laughs> but let's get to our next episode, episode yeah. twelve, dead issue. This episode is one of those episodes that I think it's well intentioned. I feel like it's well intentioned. It doesn't go far enough because it couldn't go far enough and sticks around for way too long. Uh, so we, we are introduced in the opening moments to a woman who is, who is about to, 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 to get busy with this, this sweaty dude and they're going to watch a video, but he's got this new thing he wants to try and da da da. Oh, it's, it's great. Oh, you got the video. Oh yeah. da 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 da. And then, he takes things a little too far and she knocks him away. Gunshots. He's dead. As it turns out, the woman in question is the wife of a police captain. And she has claimed that she shot that dude in self-defense. But when Nick takes a look at the scene, he thinks there might be more to it than that. Yeah. So one thing I did appreciate about this episode is it it does depict people hearing about sexual thrills and them going completely wrong like this starts off with the guy basically saying that he had been told about autoerotic asphyxiation and wants to try it out and does it completely wrong in that he just tries to strangle her thinking Mm -hmm. that's what you're supposed to do and that it's that that that's not it but it leads to this this whole thing because as we find out, she's kind of into the seedier stuff and her husband knows about it. He's not he's, he's not happy about it, but yeah, but he, it's just like, oh, she's going to play her 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 games. And that's that's not what's so frustrating about this episode. The, so, unfortunately. So, so I mean, this. The, the, so here's the episode. I'm just going to lay it out because. Yeah, go ahead. Because you figure out what's going on in the first five minutes of the episode, and it takes 45 minutes for them to actually say what's going on. So the uh, Fiore, Lynn Fiore, who's the uh, uh, the the police captain's wife, uh, the 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 wife of Tony Fiore, who also happens to be really best friends with our captain, uh, Nick and 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 Skanky's captain, uh, which makes this even more like that's one of the more interesting parts of the episode is that because it's a police captain's wife, they take her word for it. And then they're dropping the case because, you know, it's the captain's friend. They've been friends for years, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But 
we know that there's something to it because we see what happens in the beginning. Clearly, the cap, the Captain Fiore has killed this this dude, Charlie Gubbins, and they 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 call him weird first names half the time through this episode. I couldn't figure out what it was like Carly, Corley. It was they called him anything other than Charlie. I don't know. But uh, they 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 he has killed him because. It's not a jealousy thing. It's 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 it's. They don't land quite on exactly what's going on because it's not exactly jealousy because the captain's known about it for a long time and has been okay with it happening because, quote, he could control that. It's really they don't land on what all of that is because they can't go into that that conversation because it was too dark for TV or too too I don't know what the word is not dark it's just it's 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 not something that you could probably do on TV in 1992 that was like broadcast television cable television I mean am I yes. am I am I getting that weird miles I, I hate no, to No it, it's it's not that it's just that I feel like my problem with this episode really lies in a lot of its clumsy execution. And part of it is you can look at, you know, it was obviously written by an older man. But the the issue really with this episode is that it, it thinks it's being profound. And it, it thinks it's making this great statement on sexism and it isn't and and it's and it's because of of how clumsily these scenes are done and honestly how like you said they don't they don't stick the landing for lack of a better word they they don't it's not that they don't go far enough it's just that they don't they don't complete the sentence yes and 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 i think that the flashback and i'm sure we will talk about this doesn't do anything to help it makes it worse. It makes it worse. So we're, let me talk about the flashback. So in the flashback, Nick, I don't know what Nick's status is in this flashback, except that the, he so, is. He he like he's clearly a vampire by this point, but none of his other vampire buddies are around. It's like Renaissance Italy, maybe. I don't know. I don't know where it uh, was. Yes, because he's 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 posing for a specific painting, the Garden of Earthly Delights, which was painted by Bosch. Um, so very, very famous painting that's being made. And. For whatever reason, Nick is posing for it. <laughs> I, I think I think there's some, I think he's supposed to be Adam. And, As and, an Adam and Eve. And, and, he, and he is posing with a woman named Ilsa, who is only posing for it because it's the only work she can give because she has been accused of being a seductress. And she doesn't know what she's doing. Oh, I could just wear this and the men fall all over me. And it's not it's my evil coming out. And it's just it's weird. Uh, it's kind of gross. It's it's it's. I don't know how to feel about it in the context of 2021 watching this. It's 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 it. I mean, here, here's the thing. And and I have been critical, obviously, of different things throughout this this show. 
um, mostly in the in the sense of fun. I have generally had a excellent time with this show. I think you can skip this episode completely and you will be fine. Mm-hmm. And I I don't say that in any and with any sense of malice. I I think that a lot of this is that it was written by misguided people in 1992, and I I think they just got it wrong. And and that that that's as, as much as I think I need to say about the issue. I don't think we have to dissect it much more. Um, the the episode's a little bit of a mess for whatever reason. Stone Tree is. Honestly, the more we see of him, even though I I love the actor's performance, of course, Stone Tree. Yes, I think he is delightful to watch because he's equal parts sometimes incompetent and sometimes just too tired. But he just seems like he's already up to here. But by the well, time Skanky, uh, like, like, Stone, Stone Tree is like he's got he's got three thirds. He's got a little out of it, maybe incompetent, a little over it, and a little extremely wise and we don't get any of that wisdom in this episode no here you basically get a crooked cop and we've seen the propensity for regular cops to lean that way and in 2021 that's gonna make people feel very very weird um and and that that's really what it is but i mean that's i mean i i hate to do this because i feel like i'm brushing off the episode but that's really all i have to say about it i mean it's not I just, it's not a it's great not, it's not a great episode you figure out you as an audience member figure out what's going on almost immediately the the biggest part of this episode is that nick is is roadblocked by stone tree captain stone tree for most of the episode but he still continues with the investigation because nick is a good cop skanky doesn't want anything to do with it but he convinces skanky to to go along with it and skanky realizes what's probably going on and ends up backing nick up and it's this whole thing and then they go and confront this this detective gone wrong because you still don't really know why he got involved in this at the beginning to begin with and he ends up shooting stone tree and 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 the leg and doesn't kill him of course and then nick takes him takes him into custody and and they they that then there's a softball game at the end there's a literal softball game at the end of this episode in which skanky's kid last episode skanky had a daughter this episode skanky has a son i don't know um i but, i honestly flat out forgot that skanky had a child yeah well and and, 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 and the next episode stresses that skanky has a child <laughs> yes but uh uh but the weird but this is the last thing I want to I want to say about this. Uh it's a Forever Night Nick Kiss Watch in at the at the 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 picnic as after the sun has gone down and Skanky and and Natalie have have convinced Nick to to go out and join the the crew. And, and, you know that the sun's going down you can join everybody cuz everybody's looking for you. He just leads over and kisses her on the lips at the at the cookout. And that's all. That's it. Like, that's a thing that happens in this episode. Well, I, I mean, yeah. uh, I, it, is that not I a got, thing? I, I got nothing. I don't know. Let's talk about the last episode of the week. And I think a turn for the more fun, at least. Episode. Yes, I, 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 I thought this was probably 
the most fun of the the batch of episodes uh, but of, of course it was going to be because you, you basically have you, you make cop and a half of the vampire yeah so this is episode 13 father figure we are introduced to a young girl who is picking up some comic books and oh it's it's this oh no she's run away with the comic books and then she's bumping into this old man and this old man's like why you and then that old man gets shot to death on the ground (laughs) turns out he was the the accountant for the mob and was taking a little bit off the top uh, and was killed for it. But she, as the only witness to this crime, has been put into Nick's custody uh, for the sake of keeping her safe because her mom is dead and her dad works on an oil rig uh, <laughs> until her dad can come home uh, and, and until they can find the assassins uh, and and put them away. So I had a lot of fun with this episode. Uh, first of all, the, the first thing you really see promptly featured is an ad on the back of the comic for Battletoads. Battletoads, baby. 1992 for the Nintendo um, Entertainment System Battletoads. Also, these assassins are amazing. Like their accents are hilarious because they're I don't know if, if it's Canadian people doing like a wild Chicago accent or they just got some wild Chicago actors. Should have checked your math. Your rith- <laughs> no, you should have checked your arithmetic, Marty. You should have checked your arithmetic and then just walks away. <laughs> like I, I had to rewind that. I was like, did I just watch this? <laughs> it's so weird. It and is then the so kid, weird. And I get the the kid is wait, 11 or 12 or something. She would have been terrified out of her mind. So she's still at the scene by the time the cops get there at night. Well, also, we don't, we, we don't know at the time, but she really doesn't have anywhere else to go. Correct. And and this is the weird thing. Because at first I thought until you get more of the story, and, and this is like a halfway through the episode at this point, because this is, this is one of those episodes that that. It speeds along, and so it takes it a while to get going. But because they're they're consistently giving you stuff in an, an active format, you don't notice the time running. This is one of the most briskly paced episodes I think we've seen so far. And this, I thought this was a street kid until they introduce. Oh no, the babysitter. Oh, the babysitter works for you know the dad who's gone away for a month at a time. And I, I was like, I was very surprised by all of this. I really <laughs> thought this was supposed to be kind of a you know a, a a kid like the one in the flashback. And for the first time in these episodes, the flashback works. It, it, it works. is very well but, utilized. But the flashback is also a bit weird. Uh, yes. Um, and, and this is what I was talking about, where you do get some you get a little bit more of the psychology of Jeanette, but also how she really uh, kind of buckles to LaCroix's views on the afterlife. Or life. Honestly, this episode complicated the Jeanette LaCroix Nicolage uh, relationship to me well, quite a bit. So here's the thing, uh, and I think I had made this note on an earlier episode. I just didn't say anything. Nick's timeline doesn't make any sense to me. And, Does and maybe, not. 
maybe if I I have I, I look on a wiki or something and get an actual timeline, but just based off my memory, it we saw him in 1900 in San Francisco trying to cure his vampirism. Yes. And now we see him during World War One or two. I think one. It it seems to be one, but I don't think they had to worry about air raids they, in World they War did. One. Did they? Okay. They did. I looked. At, I looked it up specifically. They did. Um, so it could be either World War. I think it's one though. And he's with them. He does seem to have a little bit more kind of standing or philosophical backing up to Lacroix, but. It it's weird. And again, this is only 14 years after the fact that he was trying to cure himself. So he had already had his kind of uh, epiphany about being a vampire. So this timeline just is wild and, for me. Well, and yet he's back with yeah, he's with Jeanette and Lacroix in in England during one of these two wars, whether it is in 1913 or uh, whether it's in 1940, whatever. I, I, I guess we could check the, the style of uniform that they were wearing, because for some reason, Lacroix and Nick are both officers in the British military at this point. I thought they were Nazis at first, <laughs> to be honest. It's it's like, OK, they're they're And and Nick is speaking with a. With an English accent, I'm not going to say also it was got, a, He's also got one of those little, little British mustaches. Little British mustaches. Yeah, yeah, he does. And so the the background story is basically, and kind of one of the, the running themes is that Nick is thinking about having a child, just, just, or thinking about children in general. Not that he's thinking about currently having a child. And it, it flashes back to a time where uh, basically they 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 snatched this bit from Anne Rice, where Jeanette and Nicholas basically adopt, for better sense of the word, a a street boy who's more or less an orphan. Daniel. And things don't go. Things are going great. But then for whatever reason, after a lengthy period of time. Lacroix is like, well, time to top time to vamp him up. Yeah, huh. this Jeanette seems to really like him, so we could stay like this forever and make him a vampire, Nicolas. And so Nick basically tells them to to leave, and the kid does, but Lacroix basically hunts him down and turns him. Uh, and and that is left very ambiguous. Don't know what happens to that child. Don't know if the child is still out there. <laughs> never that, shows up in the series again but he does was he not uh, not that i could tell according to to the the wiki however that is wild he's definitely a vampire <laughs> when we see him as a little kid but the uh, last scene from that flashback is nick turning around and the child is a vampire and that is nuts that they never go back to that i mean it is one of those things that if this was a series created today, that kid would be back the next episode or later in the season. It's one of those one of those loose plot points that we'd see. So, back in the present, Nick finds the kid with his super heartbeat hearing uh, decked out in this boss purple jacket. Like when he popped out with that jacket on. <laughs> 
I was dying. It's just, it's the brightest purple. I, I almost didn't awesome. see you with behind that purple dumpster. That's my, Isn't that's the beginning of that scene basically daytime? I mean, it's, no, it's, it's, it's evening because Skanky is at his daughter's recital. That's right. Once that's again, right. Skanky's back to having a daughter <laughs> in this episode. Um, and then basically after after a series of events, Nick is the one that has to to babysit this child because the babysitter can't handle it. She blames comic books because, of course, of course. And so this this kid has to go back home with Nick. And I I love this episode. This episode was one such a 90s trope to just throw a kid into something <laughs> and. <laughs> and let let the comedy gold happen like the first thing she she wants to do is obviously hear the siren she asks if he's killed anybody just firing off all these blunt questions that only a child or an extremely rude person would ask (laughs) (laughs) my favorite being her looking around the room just because this is only funny to me because it was 1992 and i did not i didn't see this coming so i was caught off guard She's looking around the room. Huh, you're not married. You straight? <laughs> and I was just like, I was just like, what did this child just say to him? <laughs> like, there's a thing called boundaries. I, I love that that she she uh like Nick invites Skanky over, begs Skanky to come over with pizza and, and other stuff. <laughs> begs. Begs, begs Skanky, begs him. Again. Skanky and Nick are bros at this point in the in the season. Also, Skanky, not Skanky, Nick does not dislike the kid, but he also knows that he is completely ill-equipped. Oh yeah, in his For barren sure. warehouse filled with only blood in the refrigerator. But again, is it blood That's or is a it, child drinks? Is it blood or is it red wine? Because we still don't know. But uh, it's it's. Uh, I mean, it's, I wish this, I mean, this, this was not an audio podcast so people could see the look I was giving you I mean, when you said that. I, I meant that for the sake of the people that might see it. And do you have a drinking problem, Knight? Because everybody says that when they open his refrigerator and he only Actually, has even, wine bottles. Even Lisa says that. <laughs> yes, she does, which is my point. Like, we know it's blood because also in this episode, we see Nick filling his own bottles out of this barrel of blood that he has from seemingly nowhere yeah i i just chose to ignore whatever that was (laughs) but again that that is there is something about the 90s where there are scenes that they shoot just for the visual and not because it narratively makes sense oh and we didn't talk about the other we didn't talk about in hunters the like we talked in dead air about how they reused the nick trying to figure things out montage they, we didn't talk about Nick's trying to figure things out in the Hunters episode where he's just at his piano. Oh, agony, agony oh, at the piano. Oh, calls my name. And then he starts playing a song on the piano. And I swear it's the first part of Green Sleeves. And he only plays that over and over I again. I think it is. <laughs> I think you're right. It's just it was the, definitely what I knew. It da, was definitely da, what I knew. Da, da. like it was just that part anyway that was in a past episode i found it very funny but moving back to to uh father figure um 
the the assassins have figured out where they are. They're coming to attack them in the middle of the day. Lisa accidentally blinds Nick and with sunlight and it was i have i have i have such a problem with this scene because vampires sleep during the day they're not comatose like that that bothers me so much that she like she you know taps his head she she's talking to him she's shaking him and he doesn't budge and he's got his arms over his his chest like he's the the picturesque viewing of dracula and <laughs> So she just decides, I'm going to open the blinds. <laughs> well, before that, she takes a, she decides, oh, I'm going to have a little bit of this wine in this fridge. And she takes a sip <laughs> of it and it's like, Ugh, and then pours the rest of it into the sink. Yeah, um, which was funny. But again, she she, bl- she accidentally blinds him with sunlight. Yet he still saves the day. Oh, forgot to mention uh, in the in this episode. Um, we have a few. We have a few things. Nick is only sometimes visible in mirrors. We find out uh, after because he is shot in the car. I forgot to mention this point. He's shot in a car before they get to uh, to to his apartment, and he invites Natalie over to take the bullet out of his shoulder. And his wound is not yet healed, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. So here's the thing. I understand that Nick wants to be human, but maybe celebrating the fact that you can't just run headfirst into violence anymore <laughs> well, to the person who's taking the bullet out of you. You, you might want to reevaluate your, your line of work. <laughs> I believe he says earlier in that episode, I got to stop getting shot. <laughs> but so I, I did appreciate the fact that, you know, because we joked about him being seen in the mirror in the episode uh, a few weeks ago. I, I do appreciate the fact that they're explaining it like, oh, I, I, I can sometimes see myself in the mirror and hey, yeah, this this didn't go all the way through. And oh, I felt pain. I felt pain. Oh, my gosh. Oh, I, I like that they're explaining that. So he's becoming a little more human. He, he still recoils from how the, stupid the 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 antidote for vampirism is. He still recoils from the uh, the garlic on the pizza. Well, yeah, but you got to have that sight gag. Um, I, I, I actually really appreciate. Again, I, I have stated numerous times. I think the cure for vampirism in this show is dumb. No matter how much I like this show, it's it, it's it's dumb. It's okay that it's dumb. I like that it's dumb. The one thing I don't like, the one thing I don't like in this episode is so many people in this entire episode are just straight up duking on the dad. Because he's a single dad who has to for for his work, he's he's gone for a month at a time. He go, he works on an oil rig. We should mention yeah. that he he works on an oil rig, an offshore oil rig, and so it requires him to be gone for X amount of weeks at a time. And so everyone completely craps on this guy for trying to provide for his daughter. And just blithely says, oh, we'll just get a different job. And for whatever reason, that just irritated me. This guy is clearly trying his best. Like, you don't get the the, uh, implication that he views his daughter as a nuisance. And she talks about how he tried really hard to, like, uh, beat a hurricane so that she could he could get there for her birthday. And like now, by all that, well, accounts, that's, that's, a, that's another thing where he's clearly lying to her about these stories. But. They don't like they don't, I mean, 
at the same time, we don't know where this oil rig is. And that that's that's fine. My my thing is, I, I don't think they're being disingenuous with that fact. I don't think I don't think he's lying to her. I think that those are stories they wanted that character to have because he clearly cares about his daughter a lot. And I mean, no, 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 no. I'm going to pause. She claims that he swam 50 miles through a hurricane to get to her birthday. That's fake. She, oh, cla- yeah, that she, she claims that he fought a, like a dude fell over and he fought a shark with a diving knife. That's fake. I don't we, we don't know that. We don't know that. I'm fairly certain dude actually works on a, a an oil rig. I think that is true. I think that that they didn't really lean into the idea that like, yes, OK, you've your daughter's here for a month at a time without you. You should find another job, Pilgrim. And, and they don't really lean into the uh, well, you don't understand. The only work I've ever known is working on an oil rig. It, those schools do not necessarily translate to something else. Well, I, I think also the problem is why 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 is the dad taking all of this blame when it's like, well, I mean, yeah, he needs to vet his babysitter because the babysitter clearly is ill-equipped to handle the child. Um also the most random French babysitter. Well, her name was Carmela, so I believe she had a she was not French, but although her no, name no, is, her, ac- her accent was super French. <laughs> Jocelyn Saint Denis is the actress who played Carmela, the babysitter. Yeah, you're, tell- you're telling me that character's not French? <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm gonna I'm I'm retracting my <laughs> statement. So but but my, my thing is like that I I never got the impression that the dad did not genuinely love his daughter and wasn't doing what he could to provide for her. Was he ill-equipped to be a widower? Absolutely. But I, 100%. I, 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 I just took issue with that. And this is not the fault of the writers. I'm faulting the characters. For, <laughs> because it is 100% something that Skanky would do. He would definitely... And Skanky, for whatever reason, has a, a bug up his butt about kids this entire episode. He's telling everyone that he, they need to have kids, even despite, random police despite guards. Despite the fact that this is like the third reference we've ever had to Skanky even having a kid. <laughs> and so I, again, yeah, this is this is not the writing. This is this is the characters. And so I just did not appreciate everyone kind of dunking. Even even Nick is like judging this dad for doing his best and. From what I I gather, you know, bringing in some decent money for to take care of his daughter, because I I, I think, I'm pretty sure that 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 line of work pays pretty decently. I was under that impression, but maybe it wasn't in 1992. I don't know, but uh, but this episode is is fun in that it's it's Nick and a child teaming up to beat some bad guys. He, the, the child is obsessed with comic books, which we haven't talked about. She references directly Silver Surfer, uh, and she picks up an Avengers comic book that I believe that might be the comic book itself that has the Battletoads ad on the on the other side of it. They only say so many things because I guess references cost a lot more in 1992. Well, they certainly probably cost more now than they did in 1992 for Marvel, but you know, whatever. Um, I think references cost anything. I think showing the books might cost something. Potentially. But again, 1992 Marvel in the nineties was a little different, but uh, anyway, it's it, Nick, Nick teaming up blind with this uh with this this young girl trying to beat these two bad guys being a superhero and saving the day 
and then having to rob her of those memories. Or did he? Because we don't really know if he was successful in in taking those memories from her, which is a fun little spin on that. Yeah, I I, I really enjoyed this this episode a lot. I enjoyed Nick's. I thought the the actress playing Lisa, the the kid, was very very good, and hit all of her beats correctly. I thought Nick's chemistry with her was was great. I liked the background story, despite how weird it got. It very much bothers me that to know that there's no resolution to Vampire Child, um, that's that's going to very much bother me throughout the, <laughs> the rest of this show, uh, or at least this season. Uh, and that's one thing is we have gotten some some tying threads in the present day. I don't. I think I think the background stuff is much like Highlander, just a lot of oh this story happens in this time oh this story that connects the, to the present day happens in this time so that that is that is one criticism that i will hold true with this show is i do wish that the background stuff had a little bit more of a through thread however i mean as far as i know this is the first genre show in, in as far as like the earliest genre show that i know that used consistent uh flashbacks I know Highlander did it soon after, and and even as recently as the first five seasons or more of Arrow did that as a storytelling device, and and Arrow kind of does exactly what I I want this show to do is it has a through thread that runs parallel to the story as it turns, and I I get this is 1992. The story serialization is not as frequent as we get now. They definitely want to do that, but they don't necessarily have a show Bible to talk about Nick's entire history. And I think that's going to play out at least in the next episode and maybe the next couple of episodes, which is going to be a bit interesting. But I I thought this batch of episodes uh, with... uh, (laughs) What was it? Dead issue notwithstanding, I, I thought this batch of episodes were very fun. They were heavy on the procedural, not as heavy on the vampire stuff, with a, a you know a, a handful of exceptions. I I had a good time. I think this show is at the same time it's in the middle of the season, so they kind of have to get some consistent beats in. So if you're turning in tuning in for several episodes, maybe you missed last week, but you're like, okay, it's it's another episode of you know Nick being a cop and a little bit of vampire stuff. They're 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 kind of being normal for several episodes, and I feel like I'm hoping now that we're crossing over the halfway mark that we're going to start seeing a little bit more of the vampire stuff tying up. We'll see. So let's talk about next week. Next week, we're going to cut down our episode numbers by one. We're going to cover the next three episodes. That's episode 14, Spin Doctor. Episode 15, Dying for Fame. And episode 16, Only the Lonely. So we're going to do three episodes next week. Yeah, from, from here on out, we are going to do three episodes next week then we will take a another short break but uh that break will be very much nick knight related and then we will do the next three episodes and then finish the last three episodes so we will be going into this throughout february and that's kind of where we're gonna go and then march will be brand new theme this is our first long form deep dive 
but that way no one's caught off off guard thinking that we were only going to do this during january um and did you have any any last thoughts on the episodes no i think the thing that i love about these episodes as we get into the middle of the season uh is that i i like that we're we're getting the establishment of characters uh we have yes. some interesting character relationships when it comes to potential romantic stuff with nick and pretty much every woman that he meets uh which i don't know is necessarily healthy but i i also just love that that nick and skanky are bros they they are yeah, bros I, at this point and I, that it shows and, and 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 i love it i think that's great I think the show is definitely falling into the every woman loves the vampire trope because even even the psychiatrist seems to have an affinity for Nick. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Uh, about there, that. There's a there's an allowed vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's playing up to the to the, the trope. But yeah, I, I agree. I, I think that we are we are seeing everything being fleshed out. And I, I'm ha- I'm having a very, very good time with this show. I, I know that I'm I'm picking at things because I really do want to do justice as looking at this from a modern perspective but i do want people to know that i'm having a very very good time watching these and and speaking of people having a good time we got a very very lovely email in reference to our star trek episode last week uh, yes which before we go into that i just want to say uh like uh, two days after we released our star trek our, our Star Trek ideas. Michael Dorn finally revealed his Captain Worf show idea. It was kind of close to my idea, which I thought was yeah. very interesting. <laughs> but, I, uh, I was I was pretty tickled about that. I'm I'm glad he listens to the show, Mike. We love you. Um, you can come on anytime you want. I well, it, 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 literally you could come on right now, and we would just you know no drop no no makeup, <laughs> no makeup required. Uh, it will be the Dorn hour. We'll we'll make that happen. Anyway, yeah. Miles. All right, so the email goes, uh, Miles and Drew, and I am going to abbreviate this. He, he, um, this is from Kyle, and he, he, uh, will go into greater detail for his, his Star Trek show, and I will, uh, abbreviate that a little bit. Uh, this was a very, very thoughtful email, and I'm, I'm very glad that he, uh, he took the time to, to write to us. Your episode today reminded me of my days in high school, some 20 years ago. I am from Middle Tennessee and did not have cable or satellite for the first 14 years of my life. So Star Trek TNG was one of my favorite shows, and I think I've seen every episode. Fox finally came through in the late 80s, so my Sundays were filled with football and CBS, Highlander and Kung Fu, The Wedging Continues. But that has nothing to do with this email, what this email is about. Just explaining, I am a low-level nerd from the sticks with uh, no other nerds to talk to. I'm going to stop right there. Um, I don't believe that there's anything... Uh, such as a, a low level of a nerd. If you if you're if you're nerdy about something, if you're passionate about something, you're a nerd. But I think Drew and I can both empathize with growing up in the middle of the perceived sticks, especially in the South, and being a nerdy kid who didn't always have access to that nerdy stuff. Yes, that's something that really. That really hit me because I, I live in Greenville, South Carolina now, which is a very, very fast-growing metropolitan area in South Carolina. It was not always that way. Um, and so I, the- I went to my first convention, like nerd convention, when I was 23, 24. 
Like my first actual convention, I think I was about, well, no, I think for my birthday, we went to Heroes Con. I, I, I grew up like miles away from Heroes Con, never knew it was when it was happening and never got <laughs> to go. So uh, he can just until high school. I helped uh, form found what is now two clubs, the Fantasy Club and the Anime Club. I was also the starting offensive guard on the football team. The Heck club was yes. unofficial. Yeah, that's Look, awesome. Our friend Tyler, uh, Cosmic Crits Tyler, uh, has been on this show uh, with Anime uh, Anime last year. Uh, uh, was also a football player and huge nerd. You can yes. be both. You can be both. And and Tyler is a huge nerd. I love him to death. Uh, the club was unofficial and would not become official until after I graduated, which I I I get. I did the exact same thing. We called it the Sci-Fi Club. We read Star Wars books, played D and D, Star Wars, and the Star Trek CCG, and wrote fan fiction. There you that go. is awesome. So the meat and potatoes. You're is not a, that, if you're writing fan fiction. You're not a low level nerd. Not a low level nerd. <laughs> yeah, Kyle, you 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 are selling yourself short. Uh, so he goes on to say that, uh, that he was a, a sophomore playing on special teams and had plenty of time to talk with the the kicker, who was also a nerd. And they basically came up with their own uh, storyline for Star Trek that they that he thinks that would have fit fit into my Star Trek Echo uh, concept because it takes place with the border of the Gamma and Delta Quadrants with a brand new uh, empire that, that he had created. And it's a, a very, very awesome idea using the founders and DNA from the Gem Hadar and just a lot of really cool factors that clearly shows a lot of love for Star Trek and a lot of excitement for the concept. Um, I, I just, I am so happy that you took the time to write to us, Kyle. And it honestly... I, I I think for myself and Andrew, it touched me because as someone who grew up in the South and was a lonely nerd for much of <laughs> that, that time of their life, I can completely empathize with your journey. And I am so glad that you shared it with us. And they are also uh, fans of our Cosmic Crit because uh, Kyle ends the, the email with enjoy our podcast sprouts and echo, which are our current <laughs> characters in cosmic crit. Thank you so much, Kyle. It really means a lot that you reached out to us and I'm so happy that you dug our star Trek episode. And I just also want to thank all of our friends growing up that we get to share our nerdy passions with that. Cause I was lucky enough to have those people in my life that, that I could share this stuff with and, and, it kind of sounds like he was too and uh and and miles it sounds like you you may have had some of those people too growing up mm -hmm. it's like it's yeah like we find each other and and we we talk and we share and we create and that's one of the coolest parts about about our our nerdy passions we get to be creative we get to do all this stuff and it's awesome i love it yeah and it always happens when you least expect it like drew and i went to college together we didn't spend much time at all together in college and came <laughs> so close <laughs> after we could have spent four years hanging out i mean you know it's, we spend so much time together <laughs> virtually now it's hilarious um but, one, of but my, yeah. one of my closest friends that i could have been best bros <laughs> with for four years at college i can't believe it. i probably would have played a wow for a lot longer if i had known you back then <laughs> um but as as uh, Dr. Ian Malcolm says, uh, life uh, 
finds a way. And so if you would like to email us, please send send what you got at the more you nerd at gmail.com. If you've got your own uh, stories to tell, if you are have some comments about our deep dive into forever night, doesn't have to be the most recent episode. You know, give us your thoughts on the show. Uh, give us some theme ideas that you'd like us to see uh, see do in the future. I mean, we have plans, but we're not against taking ideas. Not um, in the slightest. This, yeah, I'm, like we said, we, we're not really doing challenges per se, but we will absolutely solicit ideas for, for future themes. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at The More You Nerd, Facebook, The More You Nerd. So until next time, Drew, we are going to end this show as we always do with a rousing nerd. nerd.